Hello and welcome to the AA Ireland podcast. I'm Paddy Common. And I'm Blake Boland. Blake, what have we got happening this week? Well, we want to talk a little bit about the cars that we have, but the highlight of today really is the interview that we have recorded with Martin Lee. So he has a podcast called EV News Daily, which actually does what it says on the tin. He puts a podcast out every day, I think, you know, six days a week anyway. But little 20 minute snippets all about the world of EVs. A little bit of nerdy stuff in there from time to time about batteries. But in general, it's just real open minded conversation about EVs, the new cars coming down the line. What's going on behind the scenes that we do? don't see apart from the advertisements up on TV so we'll be looking forward to hearing him Remember if this is your first time listening to the AR podcast we are on now on season 2 season 1 is there as well but you can get us wherever you get your podcasts AA membership comes with a range of great benefits breakdown service 365 days a year so you'll never be left stranded we have roadside rescue we won't just tow your car we fix 8 out of 10 at the roadside Our personal cover means you're covered in any car, even when you're not the driver. And Home Start, cover for when you're at home. Perfect if your car has been lying idle for a while. To find out more, go to the AA.ie. So, Blake, you have been down to Carlo. Sunny Carlo. Well, it was actually rainy Carlo, I think. It was, yeah. It was a storm by the time we left, yeah. Driving the, driving, may I add, the new Volkswagen ID Buzz. First time to drive, well, not my first time, I've driven it before, but it was covered in camouflage. But um, look, first things first, does it live up to the hype? Uh, yes and no. Um, yes, isn't it? It's just, it's bonkers. I, I I love it. You know, I was driving around and I desperately want these, you know, and then you're kind of reminded of the price tag. That's a little bit off-putting. Um, some people just won't like the looks of it. But it's something different. Um, we I interviewed um, the head of commercial vehicles, Alan Bateson. Ireland, Alan Bateson, when I was down there, and he was saying there's just a whole new take on the SUV. And you kind of go, well, yeah, it's got the ride height. It's faster than a lot of SUVs, far cheaper to run, far more space, so much more pleasant to drive. You know, you don't have a big diesel engine rumbling behind you. So it's, look, do you know what? They're going to sell every single one they can make and a whole lot more. Talk to us about the numbers. Firstly, price-wise, where are we at with that? So you're in the early 50s starting off for the cargo. Cargo um, being? The cargo version the of van, the ID. Yeah, the van. Yeah, so the, the van version. Um, and that's starting off in the early 50s. But like that's got 3.9 cubic metres of space um, and you can fit two full Euro pallets in it, sliding doors on either side, plus the huge tailgate at the end to fit things in and out. Did they mention anything about what happens if you add a lot of weight to it though so yeah I mean you, you, I suppose if those two pallets are stacked full of coal you've got an issue <laughs> yeah, you know exactly. um, so yeah there are some limitations but you're going to get that on, on petrol and diesel uh, to an extent as well yeah. not as much but as who's, who's this van going to be for like I mean it's it's got marketing opportunities written all over it but you know florists bakeries uh, yeah. the likes of that well a friend, a friend of mine this, is right? a plumber and he's got one on order Oh, okay. Yeah, so he he's he was down early the second he could get his name down for one he is. So he won't be um it won't be his main van on the road because he's got two or three, but for when he's running around just got the basic tools, um like that thing is a solid three hundred and fifty kilometer range and at four fifty if you're careful, even barreling down the motorway, three hundred probably. Yeah, but if know? he's around Dublin or whatever, that's it's his, it's his week's work popping around, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the price for, you know, mid fifties for the van how high can it go for the passenger version? And this, mind you, is only the five-seater. There's no seven-seater as yet, hasn't come yet. Not yet, yeah. So you're starting in that kind of uh, mid-60s and then you're going up into the high 70s by the time you get the max version. And just give us the basics again in terms of battery size, uh, how big it is, etc. 
Yeah, so the wheelbase is a hair's breadth, you know, away from three meters. So it's quite a large vehicle, but that's because it's on this MEB platform where you stick the batteries in the middle and then send the four wheels out to the corner. It's a bit like a skateboard. People call it that sometimes. But it's got a 77 usable, 77 kilowatt hour usable battery. So same as ID 4, 5 and the long range version of yeah, the three. The, the, and, and what people don't quite realise is that the, the, all these vehicles, they're built on this MEB platform. So your ID3, your ID4, your Q4 e-tron from Audi. It's got an ENIAC. Yeah. ENIAC as well, yeah. And, and there'll be more as things come out as well. The Cooper Bourne is another one. So um, so with the 77 kilowatt hour battery ranges, what? Well, they're guiding the WLTP guide is 415. That's a little bit optimistic. Now, you will beat that in summertime, just pottering around town if you're careful. But I think it's a solid 350 kilometer car, you know, maybe 300 on the motorway. But, you know, yeah, 350, 360. So there is a, a very good interview Blake did um, with Alan Bateson of uh, Volkswagen Commercial Fields on YouTube. And you did push him on numbers in terms of deliveries because that's the million dollar question what have they got when are they coming and can, how long does it take to get one yeah so I asked the same question you know half a dozen different times <laughs> to different people and I got you slightly a Jeremy Paxman on um, it didn't you I did my, my, my best so they're, they're going to get 500 in this year 400 of which will be the cargo and 100 will be the passenger but to balance that out like is that a lot is that well they've 3,000 registers of interest for the passenger and passenger double alone. that double that for the cargo and, and you know ID four so has sold what this year two and a half thousand yeah yeah so so look a hundred of those in twenty th- in twenty three yeah that's not no 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 they will have greater supply in twenty twenty three they're coming out of the Hanover plant in 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 Germany and and supply will increase they're only just getting going at the moment so the hundred units that they're getting for passenger cars are that will be delivered in January no that's that's for this year so apparently they're they're either oh, on or take hitting them now. boats yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. Um, now I was saying well what about you know I was pushing a bit more and saying well what if I ordered one right now when will I get it in six months a year and quite hazy on the numbers they're saying a six month lead time but I think he was kind of referring back to stuff that's been ordered already it's it's not going to happen I I don't think you know they're going to sell every one of these the the waiting list is going to stretch right out some people are divided on this vehicle they think it's heaven you know come down from above or they think it's the emperor's new clothes where do you sit in it I you know, as I was driving around, I, I was just hugely impressed with it. It, It is a little bit of a, a hybrid in the sense that we don't know quite what it is. And there was a little bit of that with the C5X that we put up a review on the YouTube channel there last week on. Uh, you've got the ride height of an SUV. You sit up really high, but the visibility is amazing. Even that A pillar, so that's the front pillar there that divides the windscreen from your, your, your first window. And that's got a glass insert there as well. So there's so much light coming in. We're going to have a panoramic roof and time. But then the driving dynamics of it and the feel of it is much more like, you know, a larger car than a van. And then you've got that electric motor as well. So, you know, when you get into vehicles this size, this type, and you go, you know, it's that 1.6 litre turbo diesel engine chugging in behind you, you know, and the, the thing's rattling a bit with this. is just so smooth. And because you've got the weight of that 77 kilowatt hour battery right down underneath the car, van, whatever we want to call it, um, the centre of gravity is really, really low. So it feels a lot more stable in the corners and going around roundabouts and things like that. What are you driving this week? I have, uh, well, sorry, we, we swapped over um, late last night, didn't we? So yeah. um, I have the Polestar 2 for the week. Um, I haven't really seen it yet because we, we left the house at just before 6am <laughs> this exactly, morning yeah. so uh, to drive to the train station. But yeah, really looking forward to getting into it. Your first stint in a Polestar? 
yeah, I did, for whatever reason, it's passed me by. Um, now, we put up that video there last week when we went to the launch of the Polestar Space in, in Sandyford in Dublin. But my first time driving one at, at length. It's great to get into them for 20 minutes, but you need to live with it. Like, I'm going to get the baby seats in. I'm going to put the buggy in the boot. I'm going to be dropping the kids to crash. Also doing a couple of trips down the country. Get a proper feel for it. It's my, it's my current favourite car. It's, it's not perfect, but... Wow. It's the car that I would I would genuinely consider buying, and if I had voted on the AA Ireland Car of the Year, which I didn't, neither did you, it would have been my vote for, wow. for number one. I just, for some reason, personally, it just hits all the markers for me. Um, a few things I don't like. We were looking at the key this morning. It's pretty shabby. I hope that's not yeah. the actual key you get. Uh, a few of the plastics lower down aren't 100%, but as a car, I love the way it looks. I love the way it drives power delivery is excellent it's just a really lovely place to be yeah and one little thing I, I noticed this morning I seem to find it in the menu by accident almost because I haven't had a proper play around it but it will measure the g-force and oh, display yeah. that on yeah. the screen beside you so as you're taking a corner and accelerating you'll see that dot so it's a little bit of a gimmick alright but it's, it's fun and you collected my Volvo my in inverted commas yeah. C40 recharge yesterday um, how was your what was your first impression of that you drove to Carlo and back in that yeah so what did I I'm 250 no, yeah, actually just shy of 300 kilometres in it by, by the time I got down there and came back. And I mean, very, very comfortable. A little thirsty? Very, very thirsty. Yeah. Now, the conditions weren't great. I kept up a steady 120 on the motorway. But on my journey down, now I think I must have been into a fairly stiff breeze. But it was, um, you know, it was 25 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometres. So, you know, we used to always talk about miles per gallon. That's the one we all know. Now we measure EVs in kilowatt hours per 100 kilometres. But again, the bigger the number, the worse the, the, the economy, if you yeah. like. Like if I did that journey in, let's say, Tesla Model Y, which is probably a little bit bigger and, and possibly faster as well, um, I would have expected that to have been below 20. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a saucy number. Was it air con, air con on and... Not really. Not legal spin, yeah, not legal. And, and I, I purposefully kept, I, I kind of I went as fast as I mm. could within the legal limits and trying to be safe. So if I could do 120, I was I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, of those two very similar pricing points, actually, and similar heritage in the background as well. But um, first impressions of those two, which would you prefer from? If it was your I'd, own money. I'd be having the pole start if it was my own money um, and I'd say oh no the SUV because you know, I have a couple of young kids and a bit more space but the reality is that there's not uh, much more if there is even more space in the Volvo so it's a it's a higher ride height for a lot of people who will like that um, I and know, you know and funny enough I said a friend of mine was torn between those two cars and ended up going for the Volvo because the value for money you've based on the packs and the optional extras was much greater in the Volvo, weirdly. So yeah, but um, I'm a saloon fan. That's that's where yeah. I, I would go to over an SUV. My but that's personal preference for me. So look, lead us into this interview that you did. Yeah, well, I, I sat in on as well um, with with Martin Lee. What do we talk about? What are we What are we looking at in this one? Yeah, so we're you know the, the whole world of EVs. It, it's just it's so new for so many people. It's it's quite confusing. This whole this new terminology. Uh, the drivetrains are completely different. You know, miles per gallon doesn't exist anymore. It's kilowatt hours per 100 kilometer. So we wanted to get Martin on because he, the podcast that he has, um, and he'll tell us a little bit about that now when he comes on himself. But I, I love that it's it, it's quite grounded. Um, it's very open-minded and he looks internationally and he wants to get in behind the details. He's not going to report back a press release or what's, a, a, you know, a marketing campaign. Or take it as gospel. Yeah. Not at all. No, he'll take a kind of journalistic eye to it. Um, and at this stage, because he's been doing it now for, for years, um, his knowledge is vast. 
Mr. Martin Lee, thank you very, very much for joining us. Really appreciate you coming on for uh, to join us here today. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Excellent. So just in case anybody doesn't know Martin, um, Martin, we've kind of worked together in the past a little bit, so I know you well. Real, real um, strong on, on EVs, but kind of give us that 30-second uh, elevator pitch. You know, who, who is Martin Lee or how did you get to be here today? You know, your, your career so far. Well, my background is in radio, broadcast radio at local and national level as a presenter and then as a manager. And so I was always around microphones and studios, uh, in, you know, with, with free time. And then uh, four or five years ago, uh, my interest in electric vehicles, which was a Twitter account and had a pretty decent following, parlayed into a, a podcast because um, I wanted to talk more about my thoughts about electric vehicles. And it, it seemed to take off, and it does it does pretty well. Um, and I ended up doing it five days a week and then seven days a week, and it's now become a proper business that I run that educates people, hopefully, about electric vehicles, about the issues around them, and hopefully listened to by a broad church of people in terms of those that are the, you know, the hardcore, been driving cars for 10 years and don't mind stopping for two hours to charge, through to people who are, EV curious who don't want it to be any really different to their petrol or diesel driving experience and so hopefully you know taking everyone along that journey as I learn and pass that knowledge on as well so that's the background of my my podcast my, my Twitter account and my personal interest as well and just on that Martin if people in Ireland here want to listen to you and catch up with you how do they do that well, the podcast is called EV News Daily, and so that is a bit of a giveaway. It's, it's not the most uh, um, cryptic of titles. So, yep, you can search EV News Daily. It's on YouTube. It's on all of the podcast platforms. It's very easy if you want to just dive in and hit play on an episode. You can do that on pretty much any of the platforms that serve up podcasts, and you can stream the audio. But if you do have podcasts on your phone or your device and you have your favorite podcast app, just search inside that for EV News Daily. and I'm, It's on all of them, and, uh, and then you can subscribe subscribe to it and so it's waiting there the next time you're ready just to download a few podcasts and catch up we try and keep it to 20 minutes and and uh and, and not take up too much of your valuable time and then in that little 20 minute burst of information you're then up to date on what you need to know about electric vehicles that day and now it's not all about elon musk there are plenty of really good tesla podcasts out there that just talk about what he's doing and tweeting and talking about and um and we tend to try and give an overall uh of the industry with a consumer bias yeah, and that's one of the reasons that I, I like the podcast, Martin. You know, I've been listening to yours now for what, four years at this stage, quite quite balanced. But look, let, let's kind of get into the details because we're based here in Ireland. Obviously, you're based down on the, the south coast of England, I think it is. And here in Ireland, we um, well, the government has set out a target to have nearly one million EVs on the road by 2030. And uh, we are a little bit pessimistic, let's say, about us getting to that target. What's it like in, in the UK at the moment? You know, is there a real drive towards EV over there? The government set the 2030 um, cut-off point for no new combustion cars being sold with a big asterisk next to that, apart from plug-in hybrids that do a decent range, but they didn't specify what that range is. So that is still TBC. And I think, as you've seen with our dysfunctional system over the last uh, few weeks, I wouldn't be surprised if anything gets rowed back. I mean, if they can, if, if they can make financial statements that are spending hundreds of billions in one way and then a new broom comes in and then it's completely the other way whether that 2030 thing sticks or whether it becomes 2035 i don't know through all his faults um and i wasn't a boris johnson voter i think he was someone who got behind environmental issues whether he believed them or thought they were a vote winner or not i think that there was 
at least a direction of travel under the Johnson government, whereas since then, who knows? Who knows? I yeah. think that our, our, our transport secretary at the time, Grant Shapps, who drives a Tesla himself, was reasonably consistent. I think he knew a little bit about transport, which is nice, being the transport secretary. Uh, the ones that have followed since, whoever it is this week, I'm not sure I know enough about them. So, uh, you know, at the minute, it's 2035. What's more important? What's far more important is the European Union, very recently, only in the last few days, actually, as of when we're recording this, um, although it's yet to be signed into law, passed the final hurdle for the, the 2035 zero emissions uh, rule to come in. So they haven't specified electric vehicles, but what the European Union have done is said by 2035, if you want to register a vehicle, a passenger vehicle on the road, it must be zero emissions. So uh, not dictating the technology solution to the car companies, they could go away and make hydrogen cars or fairy dust cars or electric cars. Um, and let's be honest, it's going to be electric cars. It won't be any other technology. Um, but because the car makers want that that win, if you like, they want to be seen as, you know, well, we fought for hydrogen and e-fuels and things like that. Well, fine, if you can make that at zero emissions, you go away and do that. But the real, the reality is it's going to be electric vehicles. Because the EU is the world's biggest trading block, when either the EU or California or China make these rules, and I say California because they can set their own rules under the US system, which many states follow, then that really shifts the needle on things. And so, yes, I, you know, the Irish government can say, here's a number. And, and as you say, that alone isn't enough. It needs uh, a global solution to this as, as uh, you know, batteries and cars are made on a global perspective. So, but saying that you do need to put a number on it and you do need a direction of travel because your listeners, the listeners to this podcast, the customers of the AA, ultimately all of us want to know a direction of travel to make our investment decisions. Yeah, and so done. whether you buy an EV now or in 10 years' time, you just want to know where are we heading. And it gives the companies a bit of direction so they can plan forward um, and, and know where they're going to be putting their budgets. But then just just to look even a little bit more internationally as well, because I know on your podcast you, you look at uh, China specifically is because it's such a large market. Are you seeing the same thing? And I know that you, you, look, you work with the guys over at Inside EVs as well. Are you seeing the same in the US, China, Australia? China is the world's biggest market uh, for electric vehicles. They call them NEVs, new energy vehicles, which does encompass things like hydrogen. But it, it, that is such a rounding error. Um, we mustn't get caught up in that. So, yeah, electric vehicles is, in China, huge. There's a few reasons for that. Firstly, um, a lot of the Chinese buyers that are younger want something that's very tech forward. They want autonomy. They want it connected with their voice assistants they use inside their home. And electric cars do that. Electric cars are very high tech. And so that's appealing to a Chinese buyer. Also, it, from a political perspective, it rebalances the power. So China was desperate to get Western car makers in. And so all of the big car makers have joint ventures with Chinese car makers to make combustion vehicles and electric vehicles as well. But it always had to be uh, a, a joint venture. And so Tesla were the first ones allowed into the country to have 100% ownership of their factory whatever that really means under China. Um, I'm sure that whatever China wants to do, they could do. But it, that's allowed Tesla to come in 
with a lot of with all of the noise that comes with that and and bring even more energy to the EV market but it it was already huge already if you look at you know we, we often you know maybe your listeners and 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 uh, customers have seen news about well so and so city or region has um uh had 10 new electric buses and, and an order for five new electric buses if you look at some cities in china all of the public transport is electric so if you look at um at some places where there's 15 or 16000 buses wow. in the public system they're all electric and then once they did that they went well, let's make all the taxis electric and they all went and and also health reasons because the the air quality in big chinese cities which even even if you go to a tier 2 or a tier 3 chinese city dwarfs anything that people can imagine so you know you're talking multiple sizes of london uh, these areas are huge and the air quality is so poor that when they put those rules in to clean up the air it's happening. That's not to say China isn't also investing massively in coal-powered electricity generation, which yes, they are. So they're not. It's not as if they're going headlong into this green thing and this and this clean thing. Um, but that's the, in a nutshell, the China story. And what's really interesting is where those Chinese vehicles will end up. So the the devices that you might be listing on. Uh, are probably made in China, or there's a bunch of components in everything that we're now recording and listening on all of this in China. Until now, people haven't tended to buy Chinese cars because they've tended to buy the, the brands that they know and German brands or American brands over the years. What will be really interesting is when the Chinese brands come along, and they are already, and will increasingly do so over the next 10 years, whether people say, oh, I'll buy that Chinese car. That'll be really... Because, you know, a phone is, is a, maybe a... 500 or a thousand euro purchase well a car is you know on a whole different scale but, but that'll be interesting and and on that point martin do you think that the fact that an ev has no engine has no sound as such isn't you know going to be bought the engine is going to be bought by another manufacturer that the playing field has been leveled slightly for the chinese players coming in because We've seen some EVs during the week that were Chinese built, and because there's no sound, you're not comparing, you know, a an engineered German built engine. That the Chinese brands now have a better chance to become more mainstream than they would have when we were only ICE. Because that's what the the established players have been really good at. So what they've been really good at is making engines, really really good at that, and really good at assembling components from thousands of of suppliers on a global supply chain just in time. And they don't have big warehouses full of, you know, left-hand indicator stalks on a shelf waiting to go. You know, it arrives, the parts arrive at the, the car makers' factories as they're ready to go on the vehicles, and they assemble them, and they go out the door. And, and until now, established car companies have been amazing at that and building engines. And what the move to electric vehicles has done, as you say, especially with with the Chinese um, and 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 to an extent the South Koreans as well, because I think Kia and Hyundai were getting there anyway with things like their seven year warranties, and they were growing and they were making better cars. But there's no doubt the electric cars. I think the electric cars that Kia, the South Koreans, Kia, Hyundai, Genesis are making now are as good as anything, and so that's the journey they've been on over the last twenty years, and it's interesting to see that that move to electrification has given them the leg up and those those vehicles are now as good as anything else you'll drive and i would say some of the chinese cars are coming are, are as good as anything else and it's really caught the established car makers on the hop 
because, you know, if you've got 30 or 40,000 employees and unions and pensions, and you're really good at doing business one way, it's, there's a, you know, a great book called The Innovator's Dilemma. Why would you blow up your own business on the risk of something happening in the future? It's why the startups, as much as their, their life has been incredibly hard, don't get me wrong, it hasn't been easy being the likes of Tesla. Um, or the kind of the startups in the US, the likes of Rivians and Lucids. I'm not saying that's easy, but there is a set of advantages they have by not having all of these overheads that the likes of Ford and General Motors are having to navigate this path of moving from combustion to electric. And that just on that point there, um, Martin, because here in Ireland, you know, we have that target, just to bring it back to, because it's largely an Irish audience here, that we're looking at getting the target of close to a million EVs. But I'm saying to people um, that even if everybody just loved EVs tomorrow morning, every single person in Ireland said, yeah, I'm going to go out and buy one. There's simply not enough of them out there. We're seeing waiting lists, you know, going past a year, year and a half for some brands at the moment. And I suspect that that's coming back to supply of batteries. Would that be right? Are you seeing that on the international scene? Yes, and it is about battery supply and the ones that were thinking about this a long time ago are the ones with batteries. So if I if I want to order a brand new Tesla Model Y now, it's showing November delivery. Now that used to say a year away and I can get one uh, and as of we're recording this podcast is November, which is, you know, if you're listening back in a little in a few weeks or months time, that might not make sense. But so we're recording in the month of November and I can get one this month. And so that is because Tesla have supply of batteries and the other car makers, some of them didn't take this seriously enough. And, and that's a problem because it's not the work of a moment. So uh, EVs run on, you know, nearly always lithium-ion batteries, which people think, oh, okay, laptops and, and phones. So lithium must be the thing that is short. Actually, you know, yes, of course, sourcing lithium is, is an issue, but there are other materials, whether it's the nickel, the manganese, the cobalt um, in, in, the, in the cells that can be an issue, both in terms of securing it on global supply chains this is not the work of a moment. And if you want to open up a new mine, you might be looking at three to seven years. And then if you want to refine those materials, you needed to build a facility that might be between four and six years to build that. And then if you want, after you've refined them, to build them into battery cells, and people sometimes call them gigafactories because that's just a way of describing, you know, if, if, a, if a gigawatt worth of batteries came out of a factory in a year, they call it a gigafactory. Uh, but if you want to build one of those, well, that's probably three to five years away. So all of a sudden you're looking at the early 20, you know, if you haven't got your, your ducks in a row by now, you're looking at maybe 12 to 15 years away before really being in the game where you have this supply chain that is completely integrated, completely vertical, um, completely uh, secure. And a lot of car companies, as you said, come back to come back to your point, were really, really good at what they do. So 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when Tesla said, we think we need to get into you know mining and and materials and and it was always a part of Tesla's business that never really got talked about enough. They had got a massive factory in in Nevada, and um, they a long time ago were having raw materials turning up at that uh, you know truckloads of raw materials and along with their battery partner Panasonic getting really really good at making batteries. And so the other car many of the other car companies said, well, we'll when there's an established market, we'll go to the marketplace and buy what we need. And as, as you've said. The supply isn't there. So many of them, uh, BMW stick in my mind as saying, well, why would we get into mining? And why would, why would we be a battery maker? When there's an established marketplace, we'll go to the market 
uh, as you'd go to buy your fruit and veg and buy them. But that's fine. But there's no bananas on the shelf. So they're like, oh, what do we do now? So all of them are saying, hey, we've got this amazing idea. We're going to get into battery making. And, uh, and that does make me smile because, you know, Emperor's New Clothes and all that. Yeah, and are you seeing that now with some of the manufacturers that uh, they've just been caught out a little bit? Are you seeing that in their kind of marketing campaigns and, and how they go about their business now that they just they kind of realise, well, you know, we're used to producing so many vehicles a year, but there's no way we're going to get the batteries to keep up that number. Is, is that happening, do you think? And then you, you, the likes of the Toyotas of the world who led the way with the Prius and hybrids, again, got really, really good at that. So a very, very small battery, tiny, tiny battery in a hybrid car is really only there to get you off the line up to a few miles an hour. Then the petrol engine kicks in. And then also when you're slowing down, rather than using the brake pedal, it can put some energy through. It's called regeneration or recuperation. Rather that energy using the friction brakes under your foot, to clamp those brake pads onto a brake disc uh, and friction slows you down that's lost in in heat uh, and and friction the electrical motor can slow the car down by spinning in reverse effectively and putting that energy back into the battery tiny tiny battery so if you're a toyota and you're you know you are dominating uh, an industry why would you blow that up and 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 say let's take a risk on electric cars so of course they do have access to batteries just not enough of them or enough of them to make, you know, you could make a million hybrids or a thousand full EVs. Well, what are you going to make? So if you're good at that, and, and Toyota, that's where... And Toyota, Martin, to put it in context, in Ireland are have 15% market share and are absolutely running away with the sales for uh, for this year. 15% so, market share. Huge. They're, they're very good at what they do and they will not want to change because turkeys don't vote for christmas so they're not going to want to change they haven't got and you know they uh, but and yet they are in china so can you buy a, a toyota electric car no can you buy one in china absolutely because that's the direction that if they want to make any money in china they've got to make ev so um yeah it's it's a little bit funny how they market their cars as, as being a little bit more electric than they really are um, I think a lot of buyers do understand it, but I suspect a lot of buyers don't fully understand it. And they'll buy a hybrid and think, oh, I'm getting you know quite a good electric car here. You know, it's got an engine, it's got some battery, but really it's all engine and very little, very little battery. And that, you know, and that's okay because they, you know, those cars are moderately more efficient. Toyota would say a lot more efficient than pure combustion, but you, it, it won't move unless you put petrol in it. So. But I mean, there, there, there can be controversy, Martin, about the you know how Toyota market hybrid and you know people think they are on their electric journey. How, you know, where do you sit on that? Do you, on the positive side, see hybrid as a, a you know a good gateway drug to get people into EVs if they had no clue, or do you think that uh, you know it isn't really progressing things forward? I don't think it moves quick enough. And it doesn't move quick enough to get to the targets that we need to get to. Of all the car makers, Toyota spend the most on lobbying in the United States. And what are they lobbying for? The status quo. They don't want to change to electric vehicles because they've got it good. And so do I blame them for that? Well, no, not really. It makes me a little sad because I suspect there are some really good engineers at Toyota. And they've come up with this hybrid solution all those years ago that worked 20 years ago. It was, it was innovative 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And so I suspect there are some really good people there that could make great electric cars, 
but there's no incentive really for Toyota to change. Um, and and so from from an environmental point of view, I then have that issue with a company like Toyota that they spend they spend a, an inordinate amount of money on something which ultimately harms the planet because it's good for their bottom line. And it's interesting to think about companies going forward about the kind of businesses that we spend money with how corporate responsibility is something that is is a little more on on people's minds they'll still buy the car they want to buy but i think people increasingly look at where they spend their their pounds and their pennies and and their euros and they're thinking well i want to spend it with the right places and i wouldn't spend it with toyota because they campaign very heavily for things that ultimately harm the planet and so I wish them, you know, I wish them all, all all the best, but I wouldn't buy one because I don't want to reward that company with my hard earned, as it were. That's really uh, interesting. And the fact that you're talking about, you know, you wouldn't buy one of those cars. How about, uh, tell us, Martin, what would you buy? You know, we've been talking about EVs a lot now. Uh, can you share, do you, like, do you drive an EV or maybe you drive a three litre diesel SUV, uh, Martin? <laughs> <laughs> After all so, that. Uh, uh, yeah, so, but well, we have a Chinese EV. So we have an MG. Uh, which my wife drives most of the time uh, because it was was very, very cheap. So we have the MG ZS, the MG badge, of course, very storied, much history, but ultimately was sold off to the Chinese and and the car is made in China. It's owned by a Chinese company these days. The MG brand is, is, uh, whilst they have, they may even have a design base in the UK, but it's not what people think MG is or some of the, you know, listeners of a certain a certain age would rem- remember MG. So, um, you know, that's what we drive. Before that, we've had uh, two Renault Zoes, um, and then whenever I can have a car on the driveway that is something different to try and to play with, I, you know, I absolutely do. It, and, and it works for me, and I don't want to be too preachy about it, but I think it works for most people in terms of driving an electric car because we always overestimate the mileage that we need and if you have an ev that'll do 150 or 200 miles that gets you pretty much anywhere and so it's always that debate well what if i want to drive to john o'groats tomorrow and how often do you do it well i know i don't but what if i want to and and, and (laughs) that's what the and that's what the advertisers the anti-ev lobby those that advertise against electric vehicles will always fall back on they're like, well, you've got that safety net of being able to put petrol in it. And let me tell you, it's a very, very visceral thing. You you feel it when you have an electric vehicle. That you understand it, you know, because you know, people are smart. They, they, they get, okay, I, I can charge at home. If I have a driveway, I can plug in, I get it. It's cheap. It's, it's a couple of pence a mile. I get all that. It's not until you drive one that it's, it's brilliant because they're, they're fast and they they're off the, they nip off the line. Some of them are ridiculously fast, up to hundreds of miles an hour. Uh, but even a, a very cheap EV will beat anything off the line because it's it's just instant torque. So you put your foot down and you're gone. So up to thirty or you know forty miles an hour, you're just you know you're beating everything off the line. And so they're fun and they're nippy and they're great and they're silent and there's no 
waiting for the engine or the gearbox, and you know you're never going to get a bill for a catalytic converter. You're never going to get a bill for an oil change. You're never going to get a bill for spark plugs. You're never going to get a bill for injectors. You're never going to get a bill for all the things that go wrong with combustion. You know, Diesel particulate of, filters in, in particular. Yeah, like thousands <laughs> and thousands of bits in a, in, a, in a combustion engine all working in harmony, but it doesn't take much for one of those bits to go, oh, you know, I'm going to collide with another bit, and then it's a very expensive bill. There's no moving parts in EVs. So uh, I've never changed a set of brake pads or brake discs on an EV because when you let your foot off the accelerator, the motor slows you down. It's like I say, it's called regeneration. So um, uh, I, I I just bought some, our, our MGZS is three years old. I just bought some wipers for it because um, I think we're going to sell it soon. So I thought, oh, you know, they're a bit smeary. So I'll do the nice thing and spend about 15 pounds you know that, like that's it oh and you put washer fluid in of course and of course so, us at the a we analyze the data that comes in from things that go wrong with evs and what do you think our main source of breakdown is i don't know i've never had an ev broken down well so, that's, but look all under warranty. A, you've just answered your own question they don't break down they run it they <laughs> so, run they, it's user error they run out of charge and the other thing that happens to them is tires go and that's it nothing else yeah but Let's talk about let's talk about range anxiety and running out of charge. Cars will run out of petrol if you don't put petrol in. Yeah. So an e- an EV will say how much you know because your phone runs out of charge sometimes at eight pm in the evening and you know you think oh I'll put it on charge when I go to bed it's run out it's an inconvenience and people think well is driving an EV like that well driving a petrol car is like that if you don't put petrol in it. It's gonna stop working. Oh, we do so, have plenty of people that that happens to as well, of course. Yeah, exactly. Well, you put the wrong. You know, I'm, I'm sure you rescue people who put um, touch wood, into touch petrol wood. and petrol. We never did it. Yeah. Touch wood. So we never did the wrong fuel thing. But Just, and, 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 you can't put a wrong electron, by the way, into a car. So you're never gonna put the wrong kind of electricity in. Um, and we all do daft things. And we're all, you know, kids are screaming, and we're all, uh, you know, you pick up the wrong pump, and then oh no, okay, right, okay, let's call recovery. But so, but range anxiety. I, I really, really hate that phrase, and I really dispute the, the, the use of it, because it's the same with petrol. Like, but people just, they, they want to reinvent this thing with electric vehicles. They're like, oh, but what if I run out of electricity? Well, what if you run out of petrol? So yeah. there's what a very stop clear... breathing? Yeah. yeah, you know, there's a very clear <laughs> marker on the dashboard of how many miles you have left. And, but let me tell you, I, I'm, being, I, I'm being flippant, I know that. But let me tell you what that means is, but where can I refuel? And so... On the main motorways, the main routes, there's petrol stations everywhere. There, that does not exist for electric vehicles yet. And where it does, some of them aren't working all the time. And there, there needs to be, this is where I don't make, make very good friends with the charging companies. You know, there needs to be a level of regulation over the charging industry like there would your home electricity or your home water supply um, or your sewage. There needs to be that level of government regulation where those charges have a 99% uptime that if they're not working they cannot work for maybe two hours or four hours before it takes uh, you know a van to get there to start replacing it and then they start facing fines because this is an essential service it's not optional people are driving EVs they want to charge it is unacceptable to have these charges offline for two days four days ten days while oh we're waiting for a part that's simply not good enough so that's where i think range anxiety does come in and, and that, that. I, you know i did want to ask you about that because 
obviously EVs in Ireland are becoming more popular and one of the issues that people are facing and any of us who drive EVs are facing is that if you do want to go to Galway or go go to Cork or go across the country the charging points are there sometimes they're broken sometimes they are occupied because there's not enough of them is that a situation that you are facing in the UK? I'm seeing more of it yeah I'm seeing more of as as EVs become more popular people are queuing up at the fast chargers and it's not the work of a moment. It, it can be 20 minutes or 25 minutes to get enough charge in to go where you're wanting to go. And we have the energy crisis on top of that, which has doubled the price in, in some cases or more of that electricity. This is not without issue. And like I say, it's, it's, it's great that governments put numbers on these things and say, here's where we've got to get to. They've also got to do the hard yards in the background of understanding it, of having people there who understand this stuff and having good advisors, good consultants, good politicians who drive EVs, who get this, right, if they're in charge of making the decisions, and and to have an, a, a level of oversight and regulation. And, you know, I'm all, for, I'm all for light touch. I hate being told what to do. But in this case, I do think you need a regulator, somebody in a position of authority uh, that is overseeing these things, that, that can hold them to account with real teeth, and, and which does not let reliability hamper the move to zero emission travel. Yeah, that's that's going to be a really inter- interesting discussion. I think, um, you know, Paddy, we, we, we might touch on that in a future podcast and actually get somebody on from one of the charging networks and talk about something like that. But um, Martin, I'm conscious of time. We might let you go shortly, but can we round things off on a, on a real fun and kind of positive note? Can we go through our, our dream driveways? You know, you're a big EV fan, so there's people out there thinking, oh, you know, I might get a, might get an EV or my next car might be electric, but I don't know what to go for, where to start. Can we, let's throw out some, some, some of Martin's top picks there and I was at the launch of the ID Buzz yesterday um, and myself with a young family just the amount of space and uh, such a, a cool vehicle what about yourself Martin what would you have on, on the driveway I would have something more affordable than the ID Buzz if I'm honest with you that it's a beautiful vehicle but very very expensive which does get onto the point of why are electric vehicles so expensive um, well, well, try, it's Martin try 77,000 euro yeah, so that's the, supply, uh... and dem- yeah. <laughs> the supply and demand, partly, in that, you know, if they had uh, 100,000 of these to sell and no one was buying them, the price would come down. Um, but they're making everyone that they can, or they're, they're selling everyone they can make, and therefore the price is high. And yes, the batteries are expensive, but look, over the last 10 years, the battery prices have come down from around $1,000 per kilowatt hour. A kilowatt hour is just uh, how we measure stored stored energy. And so a... a uh, um, uh, a, a kettle, a one kilowatt kettle that was on for one hour. <laughs> I know you wouldn't boil a kettle for an hour. Uh, that would be a kilowatt hour that you've yeah. used. And so an EV could have a 40 or a 50 or a 70 or a 100 kilowatt hour battery, stored energy in the battery, the, the size of the battery pack. And yet, But that's come down from $1,000 per kilowatt hour to less than 100 now. Some of the Chinese batteries, uh, the biggest EV battery company in the world, by the way, is Chinese, called CATL. And uh, there's batteries from a company called BYD. And, you know, they're 50 or $60 per kilowatt hour. The price has really come down. EVs are still very expensive. Also partly because governments have been giving incentives to move people to EV. And so if I was a car company, I'm thinking, well, if, there's, if, if someone's giving me uh, my customers five grand off an EV, I'll put five grand on the asking price and I'm making... I'm making some money here. 
So that's happened as well. Uh, the incentives have gone here in the UK, and every time they got reduced and reduced and reduced and eventually went, what a surprise, many of the asking prices of the cars came down by a similar amount. So what does that tell you? Um, in terms of the cars I would have in my driveway, something a little bit cheaper. I think the, uh, again, I mean, I drive an MG at the minute, but there's other MGs. There's an estate called the MG5. There's a new one that's a golf-sized car called the MG4. Look, these are around 30,000, a bit more, a bit less. And they are stellar value for money. And actually, although the used values are staying very high, some of those Hyundais and Kias that are around 30 grand, you know, they're going to do you two or 250 miles in a really, really nice car. Yeah, sure, if, if, if it's a dream driveway. Ooh, I think I def definitely had to have a buzz on my dream driveway. Yeah. And that'd be lovely, wouldn't it? And I'd probably have that and maybe a Tesla, um, you know, Model, Model S for me because my wife's too big for my wife to drive so i'd probably have that uh that i could do some motorway cruising on them have a big family wagon as well so um that's going to probably eat through you know another 150 grand of budget so that's my dream driveway something family and then something practical you know uh, uh, not practical something silly and bonkers and you know that's what i have my dream driveway yeah fan fantastic look martin we really have to uh, thank you very much for coming on um you, you speak so well you know so much about evs and um i have been listening to your podcast for quite a few years now so i'd recommend anybody out there who is thinking about evs go and check out martin's podcast martin where can we get that and then final goodbyes you can find uh, what I do at evnewsdaily.com and search EV News Daily podcast. And if that is, if you dive into that, and there are, I must admit, there are shows where I get a bit excited about maybe a new battery technology or something, and it gets a bit nerdy. And, I, and I'm very aware, I try not to. And it's 20 minutes, and it's not too much. And, it, and it's good to learn from. And then, I, and then we'll, the next show will be all about the new Ford Mustang or the news, you know. So we, we, we try and make it very inclusive, but... You know, if you are just starting out on this EV journey, as it were, and learning about electric vehicles, I mean, there's loads of places uh, that you can go. Uh, just have a look at just places like the AA, where they, you know, you have those FAQs, those introductory uh, kind of, hey, this is what an EV is, and this is what a battery is. And if you're starting from that level, there's so many places that you can you can go. Just start to learn about that. Um, I won't pretend that it's not. There's not a learning curve. You know, there's even different types of connector. You know, when, you know, when I start, started to get into EVs, there was sort of three different plugs. Uh, and that's largely one now, as in it's called the CCS plug. And um, you get, turn up to a motorway service or fast charger, and it's just one plug. But, you know, a few years ago, there was a bit like VHS and Betamax. Betamax. Or, you know, uh, it was, uh, it, there were competing standards. And so as I was learning about EVs, and I'm, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, there's different plugs. And what do they look like? And if I buy an EV and turn up to a charger, which one do I plug in? And will it even work? And will I be stranded? And they're all normal things to think and so whatever level you're starting at then feel free to dive into my podcast and we'll we'll try and bring out everyone along for if you're ev curious then we'll come come along for the journey perfect martin thank you so much for your time and hopefully you will join us again on the a podcast we'd love to have you on again you weren't wrong he knows his stuff, doesn't he? He does, he does. There's one or two little bits of information up there knocking around, isn't there? <laughs> it's incredible. And he was only scratching the surface for us today. Yeah. I'm definitely going to tune into his podcast. I'm definitely going to subscribe because that's the kind of daily input or, you know, piece of digest that I'd love to take in to yeah. keep my EV knowledge yeah. sharp. 20 minute hit, you know, walking the dog, maybe you're low, do, do, washing the dishes or something like that. It's great.
But don't dream of subscribing to that podcast unless you have subscribed to the AAR one first. There's plenty of room for lots of subscriptions, but no, do subscribe to the AAR podcast. And of course, tune into us across all of the social media platforms. We're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're on Facebook. Blake is burning a hole through YouTube as we speak with the videos that he's making. You have some great ones up at the moment, Blake, as well. What have you up there in the last couple of weeks? Um, the Kia Nero EV, that's become quite popular, actually. That, that's that's getting a good bit of interest. And I think because the picture that I had on the front was something <laughs> yeah. that I actually did. And I had a, a kettle and a power a saw, <laughs> you know, some power tools going um, with a cable plugged into the car. So it was taking energy back out of the battery. So there was that. There was the Citroen C5X, which is this plug-in hybrid, a kind of a strange mix of saloon, shooting, brake and SUV. And of course, um, as I mentioned, you did that interview with Alan Bateson at the launch of the ID Buzz. We have also done a, a tour of the vehicle, both the cargo and the passenger, and your first impressions from a driving point of view. Yeah, we visited the Polestar space, which was launched in Dublin last week. So there's a lot up there. There's a lot going on in Ireland. And it's great to be able to bring it to people as well. And just to take a kind of an independent AAI to this stuff, as opposed to just, you know, re-recording that or something like that. And the MG4 yeah. as well, that kind of took your fancy a bit, did it? Oh, it did. I mean, you can get into one of those delivery charges, everything all in for like 28 and a half, 29,000 euros. Tempted? Yes. <laughs> Has Mrs. Boland been informed yet? No. <laughs> Moving on. Okay, well, well before we uh, invoke any more domestic damage, uh, we will say goodbye for today and we will be back next week. Bye for now. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.